You're listening to Fundshack. I'm Ross Butler, and today I'm speaking with Dan Aylett, Managing Director and Head of European Private Investments at Cambridge Associates, where he's responsible for EMEA private equity and venture capital research. Dan works with clients to help them build, manage and monitor their private market allocations. So he has fantastic insight into the industry and some unique perspectives on the market, which he was good enough to share with me. Enjoy. So, Dan, welcome to Fondshack. You've been at Cambridge Associates for uh, a fair while now, but I believe you've just undertaken a, a new role. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, hi, Ross, and uh, very happy to very happy to be speaking to you today. Um, yeah, so I've been at Cambridge just over nine years. Um, I've been uh, in the industry now for a whopping 20 years. I joined, uh, I started with a private equity team in year 2000, so it's easy for me to keep track of it. But yes, joined Cambridge nine years ago to, um, to work with, uh, clients on their private markets portfolios. So for the first sort of eight and a half years at Cambridge, that's been my primary focus. And then last year, uh, my role changed slightly. So I now am head of European private investments, which entails me having a mix of responsibilities. My primary responsibility going forward is to cover the European private equity and venture capital uh, research uh, function here, which means that, you know, we're, we're uh, tasked with finding best ideas and high conviction uh, managers for, for our clients. I've brought some client relationships with me. I continue to work with some of our key clients um, at, at the firm. Um, and yeah, excited by the change. Uh, even when I was working predominantly with clients, I was often um, you know, doing uh, manager due diligence and, and looking and scouring for ideas for, for those clients' portfolios. So this is just a really an extension to, to that role. Um, but I'm excited. We've got a, a large opportunity set, I think, in, in European private equity and venture. We're, we're adding resources to the team uh, so that we can, um, we can cover all of those opportunities. And I'm very excited by, uh, by what lies ahead. What's particularly exciting you? What parts of the market do you really like the look of at the moment? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm passionate about all parts of the market, really. But I think for uh, for us at the moment, there's a real um, desire and hunger to look for strategies that really uh, growth strategies, really. So that can be anything from very early stage venture through to growth equity and, and buyouts that have a growth um, a slant to them. And I think you know we've 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 long been talking about the benefits of growth and how growth is the predominant factor in achieving outsized returns in private markets portfolios. Um, and I think that's where you know a lot of very interesting. Um, ideas are coming from uh, right now um, and you know we may come on and talk about this more but certainly on in the venture space the the ecosystem there has really been growing and expanding in Europe in particular um, there's always been a very um, a very sort of well-established U.S. venture market as everyone obviously knows um, and I think Europe has um, often been thought about as being in the shadows of the US and, and even potentially China and Asia to some extent. But I think recently we've definitely seen some, um, you know, some strong performance coming out of Europe and um, and some, uh, you know, the the manager universe, if you like, sort of ex expanding in all directions with uh, many interesting strategies for us to to look at and to and to consider for our clients. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about that, if you would, Dan. I mean, it's, can you quantify the, the growth of European venture in the last half a decade or so? I think last year alone, there was $20 billion raised 
um, in by European VCs, but there was 40 billion uh, invested in Europe. So that gives you a sense that the, the market is, is very attractive and is attracting uh, uh, investment from uh, all over the world, in fact. And that's really feeding into a very buoyant and a very kind of... Um, uh, flourishing uh, ecosystem, um, but yeah, no, it's definitely a, definitely an area of growth, and, and definitely an area we are um, we're, we're seeing lots of very interesting opportunities, and and you know firms that have been you know there's always been well established firms in in the venture space in Europe for for a long time. We're, we're seeing a lot of um, managers sort of spinning out. Um, we're seeing a lot of operators, people who've run. Uh, you know, and worked in senior positions in technology companies, um, you know, and have, have done very well, made a lot of money, want to continue to invest in the space, um, joining forces with investors to create new firms that I think are particularly interesting. Your opinion, Dan, what, what underlies this growth? Was it just a question of time in the market? Because for a long time, European venture capital, you know, it underperformed and it was and it was subscale, and perhaps to a degree, it is still subscale. But but what underlies its 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 recent growth? Yeah, it's interesting, and I think there's a there's a number of of things that you might want to point to. And um, you know, when I started in the industry twenty years ago, Ross, the European venture landscape was really not on the map. <laughs> I was joking with a colleague this morning about how, you know, diligence used to be done. Data, data rooms came in the form of, uh, of, of envelopes, packages in envelopes that were sent to you via the post. So that, that ages me somewhat. But um, at the venture, the venture capital market obviously had been, you know, impacted by the dot-com crash. Um, you know, there were very few significant European venture firms. Lastminute.com perhaps was, was the most, uh, most famous. Um, impacted obviously when when the crash happened so really nowhere on the map but, and, and performance really wasn't wasn't there either and it takes a long time in venture for performance to come through I think since the financial crisis there's a number of things that have have happened um, you know we've been in a very low rate environment for a long time so people have been seeking growth and seeking alpha from different areas of their portfolio um, and I think that you know venture and growth has been an area that has uh, provided that um, that 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 growth and that innovation that can't be but can't be sort of um, captured anywhere else in in portfolios, I also think it became a little bit uncool to be a you know a banker or or go into financial services after the last financial crisis and that sort of um, you know was a was a was an impetus perhaps for for young people coming out of universities you know strong tech universities to actually think about doing something different so the there's a, there's a number of factors i think that have have have, have fed into it um and i think as as we've seen um performance improve in europe um, and we have some statistics that show over, you know, recent horizons, one year, three year, five year, European venture and growth has actually performed strongly versus the US and, and Asia. Um, and I think as that performance has started to come through, it's, you know, European venture has, um, has you know, caught the attention, if you like, of investors. Um, and and from that, the more capital that flows into the into the industry, the more opportunities that it creates, I believe. So, so the European venture and growth capital, would you put those two together? 
Yeah, I mean, they're different strategies, obviously. But yes, I think in terms of the growth in the market, there's still quite a lot of white space, particularly in the growth uh, area. Um, and again, sort of venture sort of feeds into growth, right? So, um, you know, the, the, there's a very well established buyout market in Europe. Um, that we're all aware of that's been really, you know, um, you know, active and, and established really since the since the 90s and, and the early 2000s. But growth has been an area that has to date been relatively untapped by investors um, and with few with, with few uh, really, you know, high quality firms for people to to invest with. So I still think that there is some white space to go for. Um, and that has been, um, you know, uh, uh, fueled in some way by the increase in in the venture uh, uh, space and the, the success of venture managers in Europe as well. It all sounds directionally very, very positive, but uh, the venture managers that I speak still tend to complain about a relative lack of uh, capital in Europe compared to their US counterparts. Would you would you agree with that? I mean, I would. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely um, it's definitely sort of still I don't know how what the best way of saying it is underserved relative to under uh, other markets. Right. I think, um, you know, some there's some statistic around, you know, 10 percent of jobs in the US uh, are currently within you know companies that are VC backed and the equivalent number in Europe is 1%. Um, that is still quite concentrated around markets like the UK and, and Europe. Um, but um, you know, as I said, as performance, what happens with LPs generally is that there's a lag, right? So the people, investors see performance coming through and then think, well, okay, this looks interested. I'm now going to start, um, yeah, committing capital to uh, to these types of strategies. And so that's what I think we're seeing here is that you know we're we're convinced Cambridge that that European venture and growth is an interesting uh, space for um, for our clients to commit capital um, and are finding great ideas for them to do so. I think. Um, you know, still there's some uh, there's some convincing to be done around European venture capital and growth for 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 certain investors because, you know, historically performance in Europe has been difficult. The exit environment has been a little more challenging, you know, and that's being addressed. I think in some ways here in here in Europe there are changes to the the the, the regulations around listings, for example, that might make it easier for. Um, you know, technology companies to to go public, but um, that's just one example. But you know, there are um, there are things that are changing in the positive direction in Europe, and so I think it, it's just a matter of time uh, for people to continue, for investors to continue to um, to see that positive momentum coming through, and I think that the capital will 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 continue to flow into it. Um, but I think it's today. You're you're absolutely right. I think there's um, there's still um, more to go for. I think the overhang of capital in Europe is much less than it is uh, in Europe. Um, and the US. Uh, uh, right, sorry, than it is in the US. Apologies. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there, there's some there's some interesting dynamics in, in Europe that we're that we're keeping our eyes on. I've heard one hypothesis, which is that, um, in fact, if more capital accrues to European venture and growth capital, you might see returns increase uh, relatively counterintuitively um, because of that subscale element to, to the industry. Is that something that you would agree with or do you think that the more capital that flows in uh, will, will eventually kind of push returns down? 
Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, the fundraising market at the moment is really, really frothy and buoyant. There's lots of capital being raised everywhere, not just in Europe. Um, I think the general perception is that the more that more capital that gets raised, the more um, likely it is that returns will um, will uh, sort of tail off, right? So um, it depends. I think you still have to keep disciplined. I think the key is for the managers that raise the capital, that are successful at raising the capital, stick to their strategies and, and remain disciplined in, in the areas that they're good at and the areas that they can, they can produce, you know, the really attractive returns for their clients. And I think if managers are able to do that, um, uh, then, then, then returns will, will still be maintained. I think, you know, as I've said, I think the, the universe of opportunities continues to grow for some of the reasons we mentioned earlier, more entrepreneurs, uh, you know, um, more entrepreneurs, more, you know, uh, data scientists coming out of, of universities, more, more M&A actually from, you know, corporates looking to improve and, and, and acquire, uh, you know, additive technologies. So as the universe continues to expand, I think that there is enough opportunity for more more firms, more managers, more funds to be raised, but there probably will come an inflection point, right? Where it, where it, where it, you know, potentially there there becomes too much money and the overhang becomes too great that, you know, managers either become ill-disciplined or valuations get so high that it's uh, 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 it can then impact returns, and that's always the the concern and something that we're focused on a lot. But we're not we're not close to that point, though. Would you say? I don't think we are in Europe yet. No. Absolutely. I think there's, there's probably quite a way to go. Um, I mean, again, we still like to see our managers remain disciplined as it as it relates to fund size and strategy. Um, but there does seem to be, you know, a, an increasing opportunity set. And back to the stat I mentioned earlier about, you know, 40 billion, um, 20 billion raised by European VCs, 40 billion invested. That tells you that even managers outside of Europe are looking at Europe as a potentially fertile place to, to invest. And I think that that. Um, that will continue and we're seeing more and more, for example, US firms setting up offices in Europe that haven't previously um, had boots on the ground here. And so I, I do think there's a way to go on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So if I'm a European venture <clears throat> manager or growth manager, it's a good time to hit the road and start fundraising, but I've got to be disciplined. I've got to stick to my knitting, as they used to say. To what degree do I have latitude with regards to um, um, kind of thinking about different fund structures or, um, or, or new subsectors? Do you think there's, there's investor appetite to see firms explore those kind of innovations? I think so, uh, Ross, yeah. I think a couple of things I'd note there in terms of you know, um, fund structures. Well, we're seeing um, increasingly funds raise uh, opportunities funds or, or overage funds so that they can continue to back the winners in their portfolio. And this has been a phenomenon that we've seen for, you know, a few years now. Um, and that can work really well. Um, you know, managers want to continue to invest with their best companies. Um, and, you know, if they are able to select the, the winners in their portfolio, then the benefits to, um, to their investors are, are great. And obviously, you know, investors have to be comfortable for the longer hold periods that that entails. Um, but we've seen, we've seen a lot of that um, happening in terms of fundraising. And that's one way for managers to expand their offering, if you like. 
I think the other side is that um, you know increasingly we've been seeing specialization across the across the market, and this applies to the buyout space. It applies to um, growth and also applies to, to venture where we're seeing managers really sort of focus on what they understand and what they know best um, and you know it might be areas of you know things like fintech um, it might be AI it might be um, SaaS or consumer um, and and we're seeing an increasing level of specialization with with some firms um, this can this can be interesting it allows LPs and investors to really kind of construct their own portfolios in the way that they want to if they have a, a belief for example that fintech is where the greatest opportunities are going to be they can add um, some fintech opportunities maybe some crypto you know that's another area where managers are really special Specializing. And so um, we're seeing an increasing amount of that. Um, again, you know, we, we still like to see managers remain disciplined, raise the right amount of capital to prosecute that strategy. Um, and that's always the, the a key consideration for us. But we're definitely seeing more of that in the venture space and frankly elsewhere in private markets. Um, you know, this, this the theory that as, as a market evolves, um, there becomes more specialization and um, more you know, deeper domain expertise within the managers. And is that uh, a, a firm or fund or both phenomenon? So I'm thinking if I'm a generalist venture capital manager, is it the right strategy to start raising very siloed funds? Look, different different strategies work for different managers, right? There are definitely there are definitely examples where people have been successful at doing just that, as you described. So they raise different um, different vehicles within under the same firm umbrella and have dedicated teams prosecuting on those particular strategies. Other other firms we've seen actually sort of have their team. They raise a, a one one fund, one pool of capital, and they have teams within their firm that specialize in certain areas. But ultimately, investors get a, a diversified portfolio across those uh, across those themes. And then the other thing is the other way of doing it is to be a, you know, a single strategy firm with a very clear specialization in what you're doing, whether that's crypto, whether it's digital health or, you know, whatever the sub strategy is. And so there's different ways to play it, Ross. And I think, it, you know, it will different ways will work for different firms. I don't think there's a, a one size fits all answer to that, really. Does Europe have any particular subsector advantage advantages in either of those kind of very broad spaces i mean you mentioned a couple already fintech and uh, yeah it's interesting I, and i think these these sub strategies are still emerging really ross i think we're we're watching closely areas like fintech and i think the fragmented european sort of financial services markets are helpful to that uh, and the, the the different currencies in in europe can be helpful to sort of you know, spawn interesting opportunities across fintech. So that's one area. Um, I think Europe is a leader in um, yeah, environment, environmental issues. And so climate tech could be an area that Europe excels at. Um, and, and there are definitely some, some managers that we've seen that are focused on, on those types of strategies, agri-tech, um, you know, climate tech, um, uh, uh, energy, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yes, I think there are certain areas that, uh, that Europe has a unique kind of positioning for. Um, areas such as, you know, SaaS and uh, enterprise, enterprise software, SaaS, 
um, digital health, I think are probably a little more global in their in their sort of their reach, if you like, or uh, applicability. So I think we're seeing as much innovation there in Europe as perhaps we have in the US, although probably you know, a few years behind in terms of the development of the market, as we've talked about already. So any thoughts on the UK versus the uh, the rest of Europe? Because obviously the UK is still in Europe, uh, given that um, events of the last year have rather put Brexit on the back burner. But but how are things looking from a venture perspective there? That's a good question, because Brexit, like you say, we've been talking about Brexit now for, for four more than four years. Right. It's uh, well coming up for five years. Um, and I think when when the referendum result happened, uh, I, I talk about this as well in the context of buyouts, but you know, I think just the uncertainty around Brexit was the key thing. Now that we have some certainty, I think people can adapt and they can, um, you, you know, adjust their 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 business models to deal with you know the additional admin that's related to to Brexit. I think the key thing we were concerned about were was um, you know talent and movement of talent. Um, so I think we still got a way to go really Ross before we can answer that and no one has a crystal ball. Uh, what I would say is that particularly in the venture space uh, in Europe there have been you know hubs uh, that have, have, have grown up in Europe, places like Berlin, uh, uh, cities in Central and Eastern Europe, uh, in the Nordics, there are the French ecosystem, you know, is flourishing for venture. And so I think I think um, venture capital really is a, you know, a pan European phenomenon, although, as I mentioned early, earlier, um, you know, in terms of venture backed uh, employment predominantly it still resides within the UK as a uh, as a percentage of the overall market but um, I think perhaps what we'll see is a more even distribution of that across Europe. Can we talk a little bit about the exit market? You've already touched on the fact that there have been some easing with regards to um, IPO restrictions. What's your general view on, 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 on the exit world? I mean, I, I don't know if the, the, the regular, I haven't seen the, the, the regulations around listing, I think were still being debated, but I think it's been recognized that, um, you know, in Europe, there needs to be an easier path to, um, to listing, uh, listing companies, venture backed companies. And so that is, that is, I think, still under review. Um, I don't, I haven't seen the, the results of that, um, of that review yet. Um, but uh you know, as I said earlier, I think large corporates have become more acquisitive. Um, so there's probably more uh, opportunity for M&A. And there's also the US market. So European companies can still can still go to the US for for their exits. I think it's still something that's improving. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, there's been some very successful um, life sciences exits that, you know, they don't necessarily hit the heights of some of the US listings that we've seen, but they are happening and, and producing some very attractive returns for, uh, for investors. And I think that that will continue to be an improving picture as time goes on and will help, again, uh, adding to the, um, uh, to the attractiveness of the European market. I guess one of the things that the venture industry has struggled with is, is a lack of natural institutional investors that are um, venture capital minded. Um, but I assume, you know, that that's something also that will develop and, and grow over time as investors, you know, gain experience in the asset class. I think so, Ross. Yeah. And it comes down to risk, really, and the perception of risk, right? And I think, um, you know, we, uh, we work with clients of all shapes and sizes, right, with all different types of programs. Um, we've, we've uh, came, at Cambridge Associates, we have been um, 
advocates for venture for, for many decades and our clients have done extremely well from their venture allocations. Um, and so I think, I think on the whole, we have an easier time of convincing clients of the benefit of venture. But look, it's a, it's a, it's a, a more risky asset class when you look at the, um, the loss ratios, for example, in funds, um, they're still very high. So um, that doesn't mean that, that but, but you know, as I've said, performance has continued to improve in Europe and has been, you know, for, for, for the right managers in the US have been extremely strong. So, um, you know, and, and the point there is that the winners, you know, far outweigh the losses, right? You, you need to pick funds who can find those breakout deals that are going to, um, you know, produce the, the returns that investors are looking for. But I think there's still this perception that venture overall is a riskier part of the market. And so, um, I, I do think that, as I, as I mentioned earlier, as the returns continue to solidify and be strong, um, more and more investors will take note, more and more investors will, will take a closer look at venture and, um, and find a, a place for it, an allocation for it in their portfolios. Um, particularly as you know, the traditional, and um, you know, we, uh, if, if you look back at the buyout opportunity in Europe in the first, the, the, the early 2000s, there was a lot of low hanging fruit, white space, returns were very strong, people could generate great returns. Um, second decade, uh, you know, returns have moderated, it's been harder to differentiate yourself, the market has become more efficient. And I think as those parts of, P of, of LPs portfolios uh, start to see that, um, they'll be looking for other ways to generate uh, alpha and generate outsized returns. So you mentioned that you also cover pri private equity buyouts, but from a growth growth perspective. So what, what are you seeing there? Are there? I mean, it's easy to call yourself um, a growth oriented buyout specialist but how do you determine that that's actually the case growth is a is a um, a strong determinant of returns and so when we're looking at managers we're looking at you know what type of businesses they're buying uh what are the growth rates in those business in terms of of revenue um and and how are they helping to um, maintain and even grow that revenue over their over their whole periods that's not to say that um, we, we don't look at any managers with a different strategy, um, but I think increasingly over time, we've seen that just, you know, buying, buying companies, applying a bit of leverage, making a few operational changes to increase margins doesn't really, doesn't really cut it in terms of achieving the sorts of returns that investors would, should, should expect from this asset class. And you really need to have an element of growth. Now that growth can be, it can be acquired, it can be organic. There's different ways of, of looking for growth in buyouts, um, but that's what we're focused on. We're always looking to see where that growth is coming from. And I think, as, as I said, it's an important determinant of returns. Of course, for a number of years now, you've seen buyout firms move into the venture space as well, which I suppose, with some buyout firms at least, I suppose has a, a cultural effect really because there was a very clear division between the two for a long time but it's not so clear anymore actually i'm not so sure that's true you're right there have been some examples of some buyout firms establishing venture teams um there are some buyout firms that feel that having a venture program or a small venture fund alongside their private equity um, business is really additive because they get to get they get to see innovation in its kind of earliest form and that can inform where they want to look 
uh, in their buyout um, uh, uh, buyout strategies. I don't. I haven't seen a lot of that actually, Ross. There's some, definitely some examples. Um, and I think you're right. I think that probably the issue is that it's a very different skill set, uh, a different mindset. You need dedicated resources for it, clearly. Um, and so it's difficult. It's difficult to integrate. Um, and you know, I think a, a, a private equity mindset is um, is different from a venture mindset in many ways. Private equity, you know, is all about preserving capital, not losing any capital. I mean, venture in venture capital, it's 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 almost expected that money will be lost. As I said earlier, loss ratios are still somewhere in the 30 to 40 range, I think it might even be higher. I don't have the, have the numbers in front of me, but um, you know, it's almost expected that a part of your portfolio will fail. And, and, and as entrepreneurs, that's, that's okay. Um, you've got to focus on your winners in, in venture. So it's a very different mindset. And I think it's hard for um, a private equity firm to have that uh, sort of similar approach. Um, but no doubt, as you mentioned, there's been a few firms that are, are, are doing it and some doing it successfully. Going back to the, the sector I did, does that also apply in, in terms of specialization? Does that also apply to the buyout world in the same way? Yeah, definitely. And it's probably a little more advanced, I'd say, in, in, in buyouts potentially where, you know, we've, we've uh, at Cambridge Associates long been um, uh you know, investing uh, in managers that have sector specialism. So, um, again, predominantly, you know, or I would say the U.S. has been ahead of the head of Europe in that. So, in in sectors like healthcare and sectors like technology, there's actually uh, fewer opportunities in Europe for uh, for those types of of investments. But we still believe that sector specialization and deep domain expertise. Um, you know, is a positive uh, for for investors, and we've we've got the performance numbers to show that actually that you know if you're a specialist, you you outperform your generalist counterparts. And I think in areas, for example, like healthcare in in Europe, where you know it's again a, a fairly underserved space for specialists. It's an it's a sector that has long been invested in by generalist managers. Um, but we, as I said, we believe in that sector specialism, that, that additional domain expertise such that, you know, um, your managers that have that focus should have an advantage. And so we're definitely watching that. There's a, there's a handful of managers we're, we're interested in in Europe for our clients um, and, a, and a, you know, um, uh, looking to invest capital on their behalf in, in those strategies. Across the size range, buyout size ranges? Yeah, not so much actually. So I would say that specialization tends to start in the smaller end of the market. Um, and there's a number of factors there. So probably related to spin outs. So often, you know, we've seen uh, sector teams or sector heads spin out of generalist firms to set up a dedicated sector fund. Those funds naturally being first time funds, being more focused and more specialized will be smaller. Now, over time, we fully expect some of those those funds and those managers to grow and expand and and become larger. But there are very few large specialists in the European market, unlike in in the US, where we've seen the emergence of some you know very large say technology uh, players and increasingly healthcare specialists. Certainly, some consumer specialists in the US that are you know now multi billion um, dollar funds. 
I think we've got some way to go in Europe before we have that level of um, uh, of opportunities at the larger end. But we're seeing a number of really interesting things at the smaller end of the market where, you know, arguably markets are you know more efficient. I think they are. They're more efficient. They're more reasonably uh, priced from a valuation perspective. Um, and where you know investors and managers with uh, real uh, domain expertise have an advantage. So I think it's it's interesting for the, the the lower middle market and the middle market at this point, Ross. We're not seeing as much at the larger end. So Dan, it's mid-April, and I understand this is your first day back in the office for uh, the best best part of a year. It and is. How's it how's it going to affect, um, and how has it been affecting kind of day-to-day business where you are? It feels very strange to be back in the office today. It feels like my first day at work again. But, um, uh, you know, having been uh, on calls like this on Zoom for the last year, um, you know, I think we've all got quite used to it. So it's been very interesting to see how managers have dealt with with this uh, pandemic, uh, how they've dealt with, um, you know, deal origination, sourcing of new transactions, which largely has been done virtually uh, on calls like this. Um, and the fundraising process. So, you know, I've been involved in a number of DDs over the last year where everything has been done virtually. Um, I have personally find, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to get back to meeting managers in their offices. Um, but actually, I'm always amazed at how well this industry adapts. And, and in particular for this crisis and the specifics around uh, the pandemic, I think the industry has moved incredibly quickly to adapt to this new environment. Um, it will be interesting to see how things unfold as easing unlocks. I think that the um, you know the the preference for meeting face to face and that sort of uh, you know real interaction with 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 managers will um, still prevail, and I think we'll have. Um, definitely uh, be, be meeting in person again, hopefully soon. I think the industry is probably more aware of uh, the carbon footprint it has now in terms of travel. So I, I fully expect, and I know here at Cambridge Associates, we're definitely thinking that through in terms of what makes, what makes sense and, and, and uh, going forward in terms of our travel policy. Um, but I think it will. I think it will have to come back in many ways. I had a manager ask me the other day. You know, we're planning our annual meeting in November. What format would you prefer, in person or virtual? And I actually said both. Um, please. I think. I think investors will want the option, right? I think going forward, they'll demand to have uh, on uh, different ways of doing things. Um, so it'll be very interesting. I, it's been it's been really surprising to me how quickly the market rebounded from a fundraising perspective. So, you know, Q1 and I think through the majority of Q2 last year, everyone was focused on their portfolios, trying to understand what COVID meant for their portfolio companies, shoring up the, those portfolios, um, making sure that you know their companies can survive. Uh, this period and then I think beyond Q2 uh, you know as as it emerged that certain sectors certain um, uh, strategies were were going to be fine and resilient through this I think the fundraising market really came back um, and you know technology healthcare all of the things that that we talked about very resilient through this um, and I think that will continue. I think that's uh, that's an acceleration 
in innovation, if you like, that will just just continue. So it'll be interesting. I think this is going to be, um, you know, a fascinating period for everyone in the industry to see how this unfolds. Um, but I'm expecting to continue to do some of this, some of this sort of virtual meetings and discussions and conversations with managers, with colleagues. Um, uh, but I'm also expecting to have uh, some more you know, interaction face-to-face -face, uh, as things ease and as, as, as prospects look brighter globally. I do hope so, Dan, and thanks so much for sparing your, your time and your insights. Pleasure, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Ross, appreciate it. You've been listening to the Fund Shack podcast. Make sure you subscribe and visit our website at fund-shack.com for many more video interviews. It's the private capital channel for alternative investment professionals. Thanks for listening.